On today's show, how are my top-ranked undrafted prospects from the 2022 draft doing, and what are the Canadian NHL teams' needs for the 2023 draft? All that and more on Locked On NHL Prospects. You are Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On this podcast, I break down everything prospects related for you five days a week, Monday to Friday. I'm Hattie Kalakesh. I'm a scout and prospect analyst across multiple platforms, including this one. And I've got a good show for you today. First and foremost, I'll be breaking down uh, the different prospects from the 2022 drafts that I had ranked in my top 128 that weren't drafted. You can check it out on my Twitter. It's available uh, readily. It's my pinned tweet on my profile. Um, It had 128 prospects ranked with some honorable mentions. uh, And surprisingly, a lot of them didn't get drafted at all. So I wanted to go through the list and sort of show you guys uh, where they're at, what they're doing, uh, how how they're progressing, if they are at all progressing um, since going undrafted in 2022, and if they're worth a shot in 2023. Um, then we'll be talking about uh, Pyotr Kachetkov's four-year contract extension uh, with the Carolina Hurricanes. He's a rookie netminder, and he's about five games into his season this year with eight games played total, and he just got signed to four years. Um, and he changed agents as well. We'll be discussing that in detail Um, And I'll be sort of breaking down whether he's worth the bet uh, in that range. Then I'll uh, be looking at each Canadian team's biggest need heading into the 2023 NHL draft and the prospect that I think would be the best fit for them. Uh, So before I get into any of that, just remember to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube and to make us your first listen of the day on your favorite podcasting platforms. It's always much appreciated. So let's get right into it here. I wanted to sort of go through the different names uh, that I had ranked in my top 128. I'll work my way down upwards. Um, You'll see there's a prospect that I had ranked 69th, as high as 69th that wasn't drafted. Um, So that's really nice. Um, Essentially, I'll I'll sort of be going through each of them, what their progression is, how they're looking points-wise this year. Um, So the first pick uh, that I had ranked that didn't get drafted is actually the 128th overall pick in the, um, in my personal rankings. Um, and that would be coach Adelitz of the Sudbury wolves in the OHL. Uh, now coach Adelitz was the type of prospect who really impressed me in his draft year, even though he only had 46 points in 65 games. Um, he really showed a lot of really decent elements and I don't think I was as high on them as I should have been. Um, you know, especially this year, watching the Sudbury Wolves to to, to watch Quentin must see. I mean, Coach Adelitz shines on every shift. He's got 15 points in 14 games this season, uh, so so quite a jump from last year's production. His hockey sense, his playmaking are really impressive. It's almost through the roof. Uh, he needs to work on sort of playing faster overall and and improving his skating and his physical game, but. Just the hockey sense of playmaking, that combination alone is really, really impressive for me. And he's absolutely worth a shot in 2023 if a team wants to take that risk. Um, So that's pick 128. Then we go to pick 106 in my personal rankings, and that would be Cole Knubel. If you recognize the last names, because his his father, Mike, played multiple seasons in the NHL um, for the Washington Capitals. Uh, So he was my 106th ranked ranked prospect and i really saw a lot of promise in this game he was 
uh, the type of player who was really well-rounded um, and sort of, he had, he had a really solid impact in all three zones, especially defensively. I saw a lot of flashes of skill in his game and, and, and of uh, advanced reading. Um, and I thought he deserved a shot. Uh, his, you know, there were some weaknesses in his game. Yes, his board game isn't the best. I don't think his stick handling is the best either, especially in transition. He tends to sort of lock up and, and stick handle in front of him, which isn't a really, you know, projectable posture. But I thought it was really worth the bet. And, you know, this year he uh, is second in the USHL for the Fargo Force with 22 points in 15 games played. Um, last season he had 49 points in 62 games and was the primary offensive driver for that team and and still remains that that primary driver. So when you get those kinds of players who consistently drive results for their team positively, um, no matter who they're playing with, I think they're always worth a shot. And I think Cole Knubel could be a very decent uh, late-round pickup for an NHL team looking for sort of a complementary, you know, north-south, you know, capable, well-rounded winger who can do a bit of everything. I think that would would fit Cole Knubel's style perfectly. Um, moving up to pick 97 of my personal rankings, who wasn't drafted, that would be Jake Levanovich of the Chicago Steel in the USHL. So I'll preface it by saying that the Chicago Steel are um, a wagon when it comes to prospects. They have developed uh, a great program in recent years that has, you know, worked on on players' skills, you know, really closely and developed a lot of projectable elements in their game. Now, Jake, Jake Levanovich, to me, he's great at generating offensive zone entries and passing the puck accurately, which makes him really, really effective on the power play. Those are his two main strengths, but he really doesn't manage pressure at five on five five well, and he doesn't really defend the rush well at all. And that's been even more evident this season uh, with the Chicago Steel. I thought he deserved the shot based on his skill set, but teams clearly thought otherwise. And I sort of see the argument here in terms of, the lack of projectability at five on five, because on a good day, you'll spend, you know, 10 minutes of the game on, you know, on the power play and a player like Levana just could probably play a minute max in, in each of those. So he's really just effective for five minutes of the whole, you know, game that he's playing. Um, that's not really worth the risk or the bet um, when it comes to sort of the, especially the top 100, he might be worth a seventh rounder, but you're kind of reaching at that point. There are probably some draft eligibles that have shown more progression. So that's it for Levanovich. Now we move on to Ruslan Gazizov, who was the 95th prospect ranked on my personal board, who wasn't drafted. Um, he had 28 points in 54 games last season, which wasn't impressive, and it's understandable that he flew under the radar. This season, he's got four and four points in eight games. This is the type of player whose scoring just doesn't reflect his skill at all. Um, he cuts inside effectively. He distributes and shoots really well. Um, he just hasn't been combining his skills as effectively as he could. And on top of that, he's a below average skater, um, who, who sort of lets his teammates do a lot of the heavy lifting, especially on the four check. So uh, his style isn't really sort of projectable, but the skill set is there. He's got a great shot. He's got, you know, great playmaking. He's a great stick handler. It just combining all that is sort of the sticking point with Gazazov, And that's what it really needs to improve. Moving on from pick 95 to pick 92 on my personal rankings, this was another prospect who wasn't drafted, is Pano Femis of the Niagara Ice Dogs in the OHL. Femis had 44 points in 54 games in his draft year. Um, still flew under the radar. I think that's a decent sort of point rate to be able to, to deserve a late-round pickup. Um, this season, he's got 16 points in 17 games. 
He's second on his team in points. He's been doing pretty well, all things considered. He's an outstanding passer, um, and that's sort of continued this year. He's improved defensively as well. He's added some strength and intensity, and those progressions were already happening before his draft. So, you know, I thought I was low on him uh, in his draft year, given his progression. I just I had some doubts in terms of his, um, his general involvement, his pace of play, stuff like that, but... Um, I still think he's worth a shot in the later rounds of, of the 2023 draft. He, he would definitely be the type of overrager I would look at. Moving on to pick 89, a prospect that I thought I was low on in this draft year, and that's Bo Gelsma of the Barry Colts. Gelsma had 47 points in 68 games in his draft year. This year, he hasn't sort of upped the production a lot. Uh, he's got seven goals, three assists for 10 points in 18 games. He's about on the same pace for goals. Um, but his his assist production has dropped uh, quite a bit. He's got a really good shot and decent defensive involvement. He's intense on the forecheck, um, but his puck skills overall aren't really polished, and he doesn't really put it all together in projectable ways. It's a bit of the same issue as Ruslan Gazizov. Um, those are two prospects who just don't combine their skills as well as they could, and that's sort of bumped him down the rankings. Moving on to pick 85, you've got Michael Lestarza. Lestarza, to me, was a prospect I thought it was low on as well. He had 44 points in 57 games, playing for two of the worst teams in the USHL. Um, this year, he's, he's on the Sioux Falls Stampede, and he's not even in the top five in scoring. He's got five points in 16 games. It's really, really weird for me. And, you know, I don't get to catch a lot of Sioux Falls games because they're kind of hard to get a hold of. But I'll try to get a, a hold of some games just to see what Lestarza is, is doing this year because last year I saw a lot of pace, a lot of skill, a tremendous motor, he cuts to the inside often and, and effectively, but, um, you know, he'd been stuck on the poor team all year. I just thought that would influence his development. That's why I had him lower than, than a couple other rankings. But, I mean, five points in 16 games in the USHL in your draft plus one year, that's not impressive at all. Moving on to pick 79, Casper Lundell. Um, if you recognize the last name, it's because his brother Anton Lundell is uh, on the Florida Panthers. Lundell has the same thing that, that his brother had in his draft year. And that's that they're both incredibly smart, but Lundell in his draft year was a, was a really poor skater. I think Lundell's skill set was a bit higher, but I was really, you know, I'm, I'm a big smarts guy. And when I see a player with a lot of intelligence, I sort of bet on that as something that's projectable and that you can sort of work around. If you can bring the skating to just an average level, the smarts are just going to get amplified. Um, teams weren't on the, of the same mind. Now he, he is of a, he is on a bit of a hot streak recently in the U20 league in Finland. He's got five points in his last five games, uh, nine in his last 10. Um, I think he would stand a chance as a prospect if he was drafted by an organization with the history, um, with, with a longstanding history of improving prospect skating, like the Leafs or the, the Lightning. Uh, those two teams have Barb Underhill working with their prospects, and she's done a lot of very good work, for example, with Braden Point and, and other you know, prospects who had issues with skating. And um, I, I think that if one of those teams took a chance on Casper Lundell in the later rounds, they could probably turn him into someone really impressive. Uh, but there are some tweaks required on the skill set side. On the skill set side, I don't really think he's the most skillful playmaker, or the, the the you know he doesn't have the hardest shot either. It's just his awareness and his understanding of where his teammates are and where to play pucks into in order to advance play um, is is really high end. He's also got some decent defensive impact. So I was really surprised to see him go undrafted at all because um, I thought the smarts alone could get him you know selected in the draft, but. Turns out teams weren't high on that. 
Moving on, a player that I will be perfectly honest, I was very wrong on uh, at 75th overall, who went undrafted, and that's Antoine Vero uh, of the Gatsnone pick in the QMJHL. Um, first, he hasn't played a, a game this year because of a wrist injury. Um, he had 46 points in, in 56 games last season. Um, the skill with him has always been a non-issue. You know, he's always been skillful enough to be able to drive play. Um, he's very small at 5'8", 160 pounds. Um, but the thing is with him is that he doesn't have the ability to slow down the play, cut to the inside, do the projectable things. For me, he, he looks more and more, you know, looking back, he looks more and more like a proper junior scorer um, whose skills don't translate because he can be as skillful as he wants. It's just he's not doing, he's not performing those skills in ways that work at the NHL level. And that's really, really hard to teach when you don't have it, especially when you have the skill to get away with it at lower levels. You end up not really learning much. So that could influence his play a lot and, um, you know, have him end up never playing a game in the NHL. I still think that Vero has enough skill that if you put him with the right development team, sort of work on his hockey sense, work on his understanding of spacing, um, on his ability to slow down play, you know, that skill would shine a lot. But I, I still don't see enough intensity to compensate for his lack of size. Um, so, yeah, I was just playing wrong on this prospect. He, might, he should have been much lower in my rankings. And then finally, a prospect who I'm absolutely astounded did not get drafted. Um, from the MHL for Stalnia Lisi Magnitogorsk, that is Ilya Kovashko, the 69th pick on my rankings. Um, I'm Again, I'm astounded he didn't get picked. He had 49 points in 51 games last season in uh, the MHL. And the thing that stuck with me is that he is great defensively and he's one of the smartest players in the N- MHL and he's got a great playmaking touch on top of that. I just did not see any reason to not take a shot on him, especially in later rounds. Um, but he's tiny first at 5'9 and 170 pounds. He's really frail and he's got a poor shot. So maybe those two things really sort of turn teams off. But for me, I see one of the smartest players from this class. I see a guy who has a lot of, of you know projectable skills and a lot of smarts. Um, plays with pace, you know, is responsible in all three zones, makes the right decisions at the right times. Again, astounded he didn't get picked, and he's definitely worth a shot in this year's draft. But that's a whole list of the prospects that I had ranked who didn't get drafted. Uh, Now, this is a great learning opportunity for me because I can look back at what was missing from these prospect skill sets and project that into future rankings and see sort of which skills are more likely to get you drafted? I mean, I still put out rankings based on my preferences on prospects. I don't really look at what teams want. I I look at sort of what I find interesting in a prospect, but it's still interesting to see sort of, you know, how this can influence future drafts because there are, there are sort of similarities with, you know, between these prospects, especially mainly size. Um, That makes it really interesting to look back on this and see sort of, you know, where you went wrong and, and what you can do better for next year's draft. Um, but that's just for our first segment. Now we're going to go into Pyotr Kachetkov's uh, four-year extension with the Carolina Hurricanes right after these messages. So I want to talk to you about Athletic Greens and the product AG1. Athletic Greens is already a widely trusted company with over 7,000 five-star reviews and recommendations from pro athletes. Their multivitamin AG1, which is easy to use with just a quick scoop and some water, uses the best natural products, no GMOs, no artificial anything, and it helps with everything from sleep quality to gut health to boosting your immune system and much more. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, 
probiotics and adaptogens to start off the day right. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with the best weapon you can buy. No more taking 20 pills and supplements in the morning. Just one quick scoop and a cup of water and you're set for the day. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five three travel packs for your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NHL network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NHL network to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, so we're back for a second segment where we're going to discuss Pyotr Kachetkov's contract with the Carolina Hurricanes. So Kachetkov uh, changed agents, first and foremost. He went from CAA to Gold Star um, and working with Dan Milstein, who's you know well-known for working with Russian players uh, and getting them really good contracts. Um, so Dan Milstein immediately gets to work and signs him to a four-year and gets him signed to a four-year $8 million contract, so two, $2 million AAV. Now, to sort of rattle off some names and contracts that Milstein uh, represents or represented, uh, first, Nikita Kucherov and Andrei Vasilevsky both got $9.5 million contracts for eight years through Dan Milstein. Again, Tampa Bay uh, and Florida in general is a tax haven. There's no state tax in Florida. There's only uh, federal taxes. So that's a lot of money in those uh, in, in that state. Moving on to Mikhail Sergachev, $8.5 million for eight years. Same thing, another Tampa Bay Russian player. Evander Kane is pretty much the only exception to the Russian rule with Dan Milstein. He got him signed to a $5.1 million contract for four years um, this offseason with the Edmonton Oilers. Then you got Ilya Sorokin, who's kind of in a similar situation to Kachetkov, where he's coming off of his rookie season. He definitely played more games than Kachetkov did this year. Kachetkov has eight career games played, and he's already signed to a multi-year deal, which is weird to me. Um, But Sorokin was sort of in the same boat. He got him signed to $4 million for three years. Um, Ilya Mikheyev, he managed to get Ilya Mikheyev a five-year contract worth $4.75 million with a modified no-trade clause. And probably the biggest, you know, steal of a contract he's ever, you know, gotten signed for one of his players. Nikita Zaitsev, he managed to convince the Toronto Maple Leafs that Nikita Zaitsev was worth $4.5 million for seven years with five years of no-trade clause. I don't know how he did this. I don't know how he convinced any NHL team that Zaitsev is worth that money in that term, uh, but the Leafs ended up giving away Connor Brown to the to the Ottawa Senators in order to get rid of Nikita Zaitsev, and now he's waived. So it's it's just incredible what Milstein's been able to do, especially with his Russian players. Um, another play, Nikita Zadorov, who got signed for three point seven five mil for two years. Zadorov by any analytical measure, is a net negative player, both offensively and defensively. So again, very confusing that he got this uh, worked out. So I'm guessing that free agency was the goal with Pyotr Kachetkov because it's the goal with a lot of his you know, shorter-term contracts, uh, not the eight-year extensions kind of thing. Because he's 23 right now. He's signed for four years. He'll be 27 by the end of his contract, and he'll be an unrestricted free agent. So there's two options. Either... He works out great for Carolina and ends up putting a lot of pressure on them uh, to to sign him to a major, you know, bombshell of a deal. Um, Either that or he goes to free agency and, uh, you know, asks for the moon and gets a bidding war. The other option is, let's say the worst happens and Kachetkov doesn't end up working out as a player um, and sort of fizzles out as a prospect. Well, he's still got $2 million a year for four years, you know, to, to work through. So... Regardless, this is a win for Kachetkov and especially a win for Dan Milstein. Um, I just don't understand how this is a win for the Carolina Hurricanes at all. 
it's just extremely confusing in terms of the contract itself and how it's constructed because they're bound to put a lot of pressure on themselves when it's over. They've got, yes, they've got four years of two mil of Kachetkov if he's released the elite netminder that, you know, he's, he's seeming to be. Cause again, he's got a shutout already 2.22 goals against average this season with a 908 save percentage through five games. But again, he's eight games into his career. There's no way to really know. So this is a big risk on Carolina's side, regardless of what happens. Either they pay two mil for four years for a nothing prospect, or they pay two mil for four years for a really good player and then end up sort of destroying their cap after those four years when Kachetkov asked for the moon. It's just a very confusing thing for me because if I'm Carolina, I'm looking at a five, six, seven, eight-year extension. I'm not looking at... Uh, a four-year semi-bridge contract for, for this type of player that literally stops the moment he gets a free agency. It's just, it's confusing. Um, and I'm sure that Dan Milstein is sort of re- re- just laughing, just laughing at what's going on right now. He he must be so happy with the contract he got signed for Kachetkov. Um, and again, this might seem like a steal, but given the circumstances around that and the fact that, you know, he's he, that contract ends when Kachetkov gets a free agency, for me, Kachetkov ends up Kachetkov and Milstein end up being the winners of this. So that's it for Kachetkov's contract. Now we're gonna go into the final segment, which is a really interesting subject. Um, I wanted to look at each Canadian team and what they need from the 2023 NHL draft and what type of player I would see them picking. So we're gonna get into that right after these messages. All right, so for a final segment. A uh, subject I wanted to talk about for a while, but wanted to wait until I've gotten a good grasp of the prospects uh, from the 2023 draft to discuss. So I wanted to check each Canadian team's needs heading into this draft and which type of player would be able to fill them properly. So we're going to work our way up alphabetically. So we'll start with the Calgary Flames and make our way all the way down to the Winnipeg Jets in terms of Canadian teams. So let's start with Calgary here. So for me, Calgary is pretty set offensively. They've got a top six that's really solid. They've added Jonathan Huberto, uh, Nazem Kadri. They've got Elias Lindholm. Just a lot of depth in their top six. A lot of really good players. But for me, what's missing for them is just sort of support in that bottom six and that middle six. Just guys who can plug in and complement their play drivers really well. Um, I see them pretty set on D. I don't think they really need much. They've got a you know a couple of really good young defensemen like uh, Oliver Shillington, uh, Rasmus Anderson, that kind of thing, who can sort of fill in that top four and bounce back from poor seasons, stuff like that. But for me, I think it's really important for them to be able to add some support in the bottom of their lineup. And for me, a player like Ethan Gauthier or Otto Stenberg would be a great, great fit for the Calgary Flames um, if those two are available or they're picking in the first round. Um, now obviously there's a lot of contingency, you know, in, in terms of picking for need rather than best player available, but right now I'm purely focusing on need and what type of player would be a good fit for me. It's not about who's the best player right now, because there are probably going to be some better players where they pick than, you know, in terms of upside than Ethan Goche and Otto Stenberg. But for me, it's really just about the type of player who would really complete their lineup really well and plug in. Um, extremely well into to what they're looking for from this draft. So yeah, Ethan Goche, Otto Stenberg, that type of sort of complimentary forward would be something that's really good for them. Um, then let's move on to Edmonton. For me, Edmonton absolutely needs to fill out their top six. It's just about time that they find someone that can play with Drysaddle and McDavid night in and night out and produce on their level. Obviously, it's difficult when you have such good players to find someone who can complement them well, but all you need is a scorer. I think they had a great chance in the first round last year, when they picked Reed Schaefer, I would have gone for Jagger Furcus because to me, 
Furcus was the best goal scorer in this draft, had the hockey sense and the skill required to keep up with those players and complement them really well. But instead, they went for the big guy who can score. I don't know how that's going to work out for them, but I'm pretty certain that Jagger Ferguson is a better pro, a better, better player at the end of the day than uh, Reed Schaefer. But that's just me. Um, another thing they could need is probably a top four defenseman, but I'm not sure that they would be able to find that within uh, this draft. Obviously, they've got Evan Bouchard and uh, Darnell Nurse, who are probably going to be filling in the top pair. Someone who can slot in behind them and do a good job. Someone like Caden Price, um, you know, someone of that range. Luca Cagnoni, Hunter Bustevis, that kind of thing would be pretty interesting. When we go to the Montreal Canadiens, I think the biggest need in their prospect pool is probably a right-handed defenseman. I don't see anyone who's probably going to be a lock to play in their top four. Logan Mayu, to me, is, first of all, he's not eligible to play. Second, he doesn't have anywhere near the awareness or intelligence or, or hockey sense required in order to fill in a top four properly, in my opinion. And same thing for Justin Barron. I don't see him as the smartest player, but he's got enough defensive capabilities and and responsibility to probably be a number four at best um but you need someone in there who's going to be sort of a bona fide second pair defenseman um that's right-handed i think someone like hunter brestevitz uh if they end up adding a pick in the later first round would be someone that they could look at or even the start of the second round uh depending on where they're picking but i think especially if the habs have a top 10 pick for me, it's quintessential that they add either a top-line center or a top-line left wing because I think the Habs would be really much more well-set if Nick Suzuki was their second-line center. I love Nick Suzuki. I think he's an elite player. But if you have a one-two punch where Nick Suzuki isn't even your your first-line center, you're a competitive team. And if the Habs can add, you know, let, let's say, you know, let's ignore winning the draft because, you know, Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, all that stuff, that's great. But if you're picking, let's say, fifth, you're probably going to have one of Leo Carlson, Zach Benson, um, Callum Ritchie, you know, one of those guys available. So someone who's either going to be a top line center or a top left, top line left winger would be a very, very good fit for the Habs, in my opinion, um, just to make them more competitive and sort of streamline their uh, rebuild in the right direction. Moving on from Montreal, let's go to Ottawa. For me, the Senators absolutely need a bona fide starting netminder. I think that's what's missing from their system in order to ensure that the pieces that they have in front of those guys work really well. Because for me, Thomas Shabbat, Jake Sanderson, you're set on defense. That's your top pair. You're good. Uh, On forward, they do not need centers. Uh, Tim Stutzla, Josh Norris, uh, Shane Pinto, that's your center line for the next 10 years. You're set. So either a netminder someone who's going to be sort of fitting into the, the starting netminder slot and doing a great job night in and night out. doesn't have to be elite. This has to be good enough for sort of Jake Allen level of, of netminder. You're good. Um, the other thing they might need is probably a, a winger, but honestly with the added value of Alex Nebrinkit and, you know, Claude Giroux, the best thing you could probably do is get a top six left winger, um, which if the Sens continue to be playing like they are, you know, their best bets, probably Callum Ritchie, uh, or Andrew Crystal. Um, but I really see them sort of going for if, if they end up getting a late first round pick, I, I think the best fit for them would be Michael Hrabal, uh, who's a great netminder who does a lot of, uh, good things, uh, very athletic, uh, very smart, very composed. Um, he, he looks to me like a starting netminder and I think it would be a great fit in Ottawa. Moving on to Toronto for me, Toronto absolutely needs a top four right-handed defenseman. 
the the whole Morgan Riley cabal and the whole Rasmus Sandin situation. I think other than Timothy Liljegren, I don't think they have a bona fide right-handed defenseman who can plug in and do a good job. Um, TJ Brody's played on his off on his offside, you know, a lot in his career, and I respect that and all that. But they're starting to age the Brody's and Muzzins, all that. They need to go out and find a right-handed defenseman that's going to fit into their lineup and do a great job on the power play, on the penalty kill, a really versatile right-handed defenseman. To me, that sounds like Hunter Bristevitz. That's the type of guy that they could go for that would really complement their play really well um, and, and sort of fill in that lineup. He's from Kitchener. He's you know he's a he's a guy from he's a homegrown talent. He would work out great, I think, in Toronto. And uh, they have the, the the development staff in order to bring out the best out of him. So I'm not too worried about his potential uh, if he goes to the to the Leafs. Then Vancouver. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Other than centers, I don't think there's anything that the Canucks don't need. Um, maybe a netminder because Thatcher Demko is looking more and more interesting by the year. But for me, what would be most essential for the Canucks would be a top pair defender. So... If they're drafting top 10, they're not going to find a top pair defender, um, you know, within that range, that would be a good, that wouldn't be a reach for me. Um, you know, Lucas Derisovich would probably be their best bet at getting a top pair upside defender. The thing with Derisovich is he's so uncertain as a prospect. There's no guarantee that he reaches that upside, but at least you've got the upside in your pipeline um, that you can then surround with a proper development team and sort of try to get the best out of. So that's where I would go if I was the Canucks. Or, or a top six winger would be great. Someone who can complement Elias Patterson really, really well. Um, you know, they've got... Right now they've got Patterson, Bo Horvat, and JT Miller down the middle. JT Miller can play the wing, but I think he's a lot more comfortable at center. So just to find a winger who can complement those guys really well would be something that would be interesting for them. Again, the Andrew Crystals, uh, the Callum Ritchies, Colby Barlow would be an interesting sort of swing to take, uh, Matthew Wood. There's a couple options that they could go for that would be really interesting. And finally, the Winnipeg Jets. I think the Jets have someone solid in Cole Perfetti. I don't think they have to worry about their center line uh, in the future, but I would add someone, you know, a top six winger again, like the guys I just mentioned, the Barlows, the Crystals, um, you know, Callum Ritchie, that kind of guy, or top four defensemen would complement their lineup really well. Um, I think Keenan Price would be a great fit in Winnipeg. Um, I think it would fit in really well there, but uh, the Jets have been pretty weird in terms of drafting. They had a great draft last season um, in 2022. I think their draft was really excellent, but I'm just curious to see how they fill in their needs this year because they really went best player available, which, you know, kudos to them. I love that philosophy. Um, but I'm just curious as to how they would how how they would draft if they were forced to draft for a need. So that's it for our final segment on uh, what each Canadian team needs from this draft and which player would fit well with them. Um, now, if you like what you've been listening to, make sure to like and subscribe um, if you're watching on YouTube and to follow along on your favorite podcasting platforms and make us your first listen of the day. Uh, for your second listen of the day, make sure to check out Locked On Sports Today. They've got all your favorite news updates uh, on all your favorite uh, leagues and teams. Uh, make sure to check them out. They've got great content. Uh, this has been Locked On NHL Prospects. I'm Hattie Kalakesh, and catch you next time.